Welcome to Tech Junior. Hey everybody, welcome back. We are talking to Irma Mesa today, and we're going to talk about product management. So what that is and how it benefits your company and your product and your service, as well as remote work. Um, and maybe how to get into that if you have no experience. So it's a great show and I, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you want to support us, please check out our website at techjar.dev. Click subscribe, um, sign up for our newsletter, and get notified of new episodes, uh, new blog posts, and other goodies. Uh, tweet us at TechJR Podcast, leave a review on iTunes, all that good stuff. We love and appreciate that. And come check me out at DevFest. I'm giving a couple of talks. Uh, it's on November 16th, and tickets are still available. So uh, I hope to see you there. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Warwick. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. Have with me as always Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie, a front end developer. <laughs> and um, we've got uh, Irma Mesa with us today. Uh, so, Irma, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, um, thank you for having me again on the show. Uh, super excited to be here. And yeah, my name is Irma Mesa. Um, I am a product manager, uh, not a project manager, so totally different. And um, yeah, I, um, I, I work as a product manager for a company that uh, delivers K through 12 curriculum for um, public schools. So it's really great, uh, really great and gratifying kind of space to be in where we're kind of directly affecting um, and impacting students and teachers. So um, yeah, I do a bunch of other stuff on the side as well, but my main focus right now is, is product management. Cool. So um, are you, you're also a developer, right? I do do development on the side. I wouldn't consider myself like a, you know, full blown programmer um but i do i would consider myself some more of a front-end developer so i'm more, more on the html css javascript side of the the world cool yeah. that's uh that's kind of our area of awesome. yeah of expertise so Sweet. <laughs> um yeah how did you uh how did you become a product manager like what was the uh like first of all what does a product manager do and then second mm -hmm. how did you go from uh, messing around with javascript or whatever to becoming a product manager yeah. Um, so it was a very like twisty and turny story. Um, I went to school for psychology. So I was originally planning to be in the health field and um, really give back to kids who had autism, Down syndrome, kids with like dis disabilities, essentially. Um, so I went to school for psychology, did a bunch of courses in like anatomy, neuroscience and all that. It was really fun. Um, I got to learn a lot about how humans think and how we um, how we utilize, you know, technology and how we just behave in, in group environments and all of that. Um, so that was a really great, you know, time in my, my life. Um, and as I was preparing to graduate, so this was a year before I graduated, I came across Code Academy. Um, and I've always had this passion for tech, um, but it was mostly tech being, um, you know, laptops or phones and like fixing them or just helping people with like technical issues. It was never programming. I didn't ha I had no idea about like how the internet worked, how I was able to, you know, chat on, on AIM at the time. I had no idea how any of that um, came to be. Um, and I was just never exposed to it. So when I came across Code Academy, I had this really big realization where I found myself, you know, spending time on Code Academy for four hours at a time, sometimes even like six hours. I was like, where did my day go? Um, but it was so, it was so new and it was, um, it was, it allowed me to use this part of my brain that I had never used before. Um, it allowed me to be creative. It allowed me to, you know, solve problems and kind of figure things out on my own or use Stack Overflow to figure out, you know, any sort of code issues I was running into. Um, and from that day, I still kept going with my, you know, my major and my degree, but I wasn't super happy. I was always, I always felt myself coming home and wanting to code. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I was like, you know, why, why, why Irma? Like, why do you, why, why does this thing like sort of pull you in? Um, and I think it was really because it was, I was problem solving. Like I was easily um, solving problems. I was getting stuck. I was failing. And I really, really enjoyed that, that part of it. Um, I ended up applying to a web assistant job at the time at, at a digital agency and I ended up getting it and it was an internship with um, a really great, you know, team and I was working on the digital side of things. So working with HTML and CSS at the time. Um, and I had a really great mentor who was like this, you know, PHP buff, um, WordPress buff guy. And he was, he's just telling me all about technology and how it's a really great career to be in. And that's when I really um, saw sort of like something. I was like, maybe I can do something here. Um, 
so I just kept going. I kept learning. I kept, you know, using online resources at the time. I took a small boot camp like over the summer at a local college. Um, that was very casual, uh, but it just gave me a, a little bit more understanding about like literally how you're able to surf the web, how you're able to um, spin, up, spin, up, spin up a server as an example. Um, and then from there, I uh, applied for another job and that job really allowed me to um, start developing a lot of my skills in other areas like leadership, communication, um, working with engineers. Uh, and that job was one where I started as a customer support agent. And that really shows you that like you don't have to, if you don't have the experience, you don't have to just always jump into, um, you know, the software engineering job, you could explore um, and kind of work your way up from there. Um, it really gives you a lot of flexibility. It's, it's like low commitment in a way, like you can try out different roles. Um, so that's what I did. I kind of like tried out QA, quality assurance. Um, I liked it. Customer support. I love talking to customers. Um, and then I also did a little bit of project management at the time. And um, all of those kind of roles together sort of make up product management. Um, at least a portion of it. Um, it allowed me to really understand the product and what we were working towards. Um, I also had a good understanding about the users and who were, who were using our product at the time. And um, I was working with engineering, engineer, the, the engineering team. And so um, kind of all these facets together, we had somebody leave our, our team um, and he was a product manager and I was like, oh, can I do that? Like, can I just try out this role? Um, and my boss was like, yeah, like go for it. Um, so I literally had to learn everything from the ground up, um, when it came to product management and it was really hard. Um, I didn't know what I was doing a lot of the time I would be in meetings and they would ask me questions and I would be like, I guess I'm supposed to be the subject matter expert, but like, I'm really not. Um, so it was so difficult, but I honestly, like the more you do product management, the easier it becomes. And I'm sure that's maybe not easy. And like, a, I can do this like with my eyes closed, but I'm sure that's similar for other roles where the more you practice and the more you have real world experience with something, like the stronger you're going to become at this craft. Um, so that's what happened to me. And I ended up finding that product management was just what I needed. It was this role where I could wear, different hats. I can have my hands in a bunch of different projects, talk to a bunch of different teams, um, not only be technical, but also be um, salesy and be like in that business hat um, sort of sort of sense. So that was kind of like where I got to, how I got to where I am. Um, and, I, and on the side, like I'm still coding. I still try to spin up my own projects and kind of keep that um, active because I don't code every day on the job. So um, making sure that I'm still not losing that skill is, is really important. Um, and a product manager, what they do is that they really just take um, they take a product, a, a problem essentially, and try to find a solution for for the larger customer base. So I always like to give an example. So like I'll, I'll ask people like, you know, what app do you use? Um, or like, what's your favorite app? And I don't know. What's your favorite app? One of you give me an app. <laughs> what's your favorite app you um, use? Hmm. They, I, I use Trello a lot. Does that count? Trello, yeah. So Trello is a um, an app that you use probably on a, maybe on a daily basis. Um, and thinking about like how Trello got to where it is today, um, that journey that was probably all most of it was done by the leadership of a product manager or somebody with a product mindset. Um, somebody found a problem out in the space and was like, "Hey, people don't you, you, they don't have a way to organize their tasks and they don't have a way to share the, that with other people." So, like, what can we do to make um, to solve for that? Um, so through user research, through, um, strategy and through vision, um, and through just iteration, um, that product manager probably worked with a team of engineers to make that all happen to like deliver this product to you, um, that you can use on your desktop, on your mobile app. And, um, really the product manager isn't like the, I don't like calling them the, the CEO of the product because like, they're not like they can make decisions, but they're not like the, the final decisions, decisions sometimes, um, as a product manager, you are sort of the um, the leader between all the teams. You're the leader between um, engineering, design, and business. And um, without your leadership, the team doesn't really know where to go. Um, at that point, the team is just building whatever. They're just building things that are cool. Um, the product manager brings that insight and they say, I talked to 2,000 of our customers and they said that they're really, they, they don't know how to use, um, I don't know, maybe one of the power-ups and Trello. Um, how do we make it easier for them to use the power ups in Trello? And so I would collaborate with my engineering team and figure out like a solution. Um, the solution would come from engineering. I don't come up with the solutions. I come up with like 
I bring the why. Um, engineering brings how. How are we doing this? Um, and it's so important for myself as a product manager to make sure engineering understands why we're doing something and who we're doing it for. Um, because if not, they're just building to build and that's not fun. <laughs> so um, I really enjoy being a product manager. I like, you know, I recommend people to explore if they can. Cool. So um, as somebody that has more of a developer background, um, we spoke with a product manager um, shortly in a previous episode uh, about being a product manager with design experience. So she had a lot of UX UI background and then kind of fell into product management. Um, how do you feel about having development experience as a product manager? Uh, does that help you work with like the engineering team or do you have like suggestions for them or uh, does that help you talk to the design team? Like what's that integration like? Yeah. So it's, I, I'd say personally, and this is my, my experience and you know, what I've seen from other people is that like having a technical background and coming from a development background is like extremely helpful. Um, not, not only does it help with like credibility and like making decisions, but it also helps with making sure that your engineers feel like they're being heard. Um, if an engineer was talking to somebody who is not non-technical, um, not, it's a little harder. Um, they can still do it obviously, but it's just a little harder. Things get like lost in translation. So it's helped me a lot, um, in terms of just understanding like the bigger picture when the, when the tech team talks about things. Um, and that way I can translate that back to like sales, sales team. Um, so having like a basic idea of, um, and it doesn't have to be like you were a programmer in the past and like that would make you a great product manager. Um, I would just say you need like a basic le- level, like fundamentals of programming knowledge. And that should be like good enough um, at least to get you started. The rest you will learn. The rest you'll learn through your engineering team. If you have a great engineering team, they're going to teach you. <laughs> like they will teach you how like what they're talking about and and what, you know, when they say up like when they say spin up a server, like what does that mean? Um, so that's really important. And then from the design side, um, also important, a lot of designers nowadays, do you have front end development experience? So if you can talk to them about, you know, CSS or positioning something on, a, a pa- uh, on the page, um, or maybe like adding alt text, right. That's things important to a designer. That's really good to, to build your, to build that relationship with, um, your team is just like understanding what they do. Um, if you can spend a day in, in your team's shoes, like that's like amazing, but not all of us have that privilege. Uh, so if you can just like, if you can take time out of your day to learn what they do on a day-to-day basis um, and the terms that they use and how they think um, as engineers and as, as as designers, like that's a lot of what you uh, will need as a product manager to, um, to build those relationships and, you know, make a great team. Cool. Um, I was like talking to uh, the UX, UI, design, product management, all those people because they, like you, you have this idea as a developer in your head about maybe what those jobs entail. And maybe you think like, you know, spreadsheets or flowcharts or something and uh, where do we put buttons and that kind of thing. But really a lot of that space is about figuring out what the user actually needs Mm-hmm. and then yeah. kind of building your requirements from there. So exactly. as a product manager with development experience, like how do you take your product management chops and then apply them to like personal projects? Like, are you yeah. phenomenal at pseudocoding? Like do you <laughs> start with like all the requirements for your apps before you build them or how does that help you? Yeah, that's a super good question. Um, very good question. I think for me, like um, what, coming, like just understanding development and design um, when I do work on personal projects, I I have to have it like planned. Like it's it's really scary. Like I'll have like a template and like I'll I'll literally tell myself like why am I building this? Um, who's it for? Um, kind of like a really light like roadmap of like what I would do first and what I would release for as version one versus like version two. Um, so that's how I've been kind of like when I work on my personal projects, I start from a very like product mindset which can be like good or bad like i wish i could just start a project and just like do it for fun but there's times where like i catch myself like being a product manager for my own projects and that's not super fun sometimes uh, because then you see like oh maybe i shouldn't be building this because i don't have a user base or i don't have you know the product market fit fit for it um so i wish i could do less of that but right now it's a lot of like 
mostly product when I start up. Um, and then as far as development, um, I, I try to just stick to what I know. Like I try not to learn, um, new languages just to build something. Um, like learn a, a language like one off like i don't I, I i found i tried doing that once and i didn't find that it was super helpful um it just made me like give up my projects so i try to just make sure that i'm building with what i know um for the most part cool um there's also kind of you talked a little bit about like the business aspect of your side projects um going back to like your main role uh how does the leadership of the organization view product management I know that in some businesses, like the developers are seen as maybe like a cost center, like, oh, we have to afford the developers, like they cost us money, Um, where, you know, you kind of want to be viewed as a profit center. Like when the company thinks about you, you want them to be thinking like, oh, this person brings us money, like they generate profit. And engineers don't always get viewed that way. They're kind of like, oh, we have to hire expensive Mm -hmm. engineers and they, they're like a cost. So how does product management get viewed by leadership? We are like probably the most product focused company that I've worked for so far. So, um, we don't like pour all of our money into sales. We actually pour a lot of our money into our product team and our product team is made up of, uh, made up of product managers, designers, um, and engineers. So, we really, really value that like our engineers and what we do as a product team isn't um, isn't like lower than anybody else. It isn't higher than anybody else, but it's still very important just as much as sales is important, just just as important as um, marketing, right? Just as important as your as your, as your support team, because um, I've I've come from jobs where you know engineering is treated like you said, like you know um, maybe kept on the the bottom of the totem pole, but they're paid very highly. Um, but they're just kind of seen as like maybe code monkeys or just people that are delivering work at whenever we ask them. So I really, for me, it's so important for, um, engineering wherever I go to be top of mind for everybody. As far as like, these are people, these are still people at the end of the day. Like, yes, they're doing like they code and they can, you know, fix bugs and all this, but like they can do so much more than that. Like they're critical thinkers or problem solvers. Um, so coming from, for me, it's, it's always important to just work for companies that are product focused. Cause that means that you'll always have like your leadership will know that your engineers are, are valuable. Like they're very, very valuable assets to, to the team. Cool. So, um, as far as like product, product managers specifically, then, um, does like the senior leadership kind of view that as, uh, like you as somebody that brings value to the product or like what's the, I mean, we're obviously generalizing here and every company is different, but you know, in general, how, how does that pan out in that view? Um, I would kind of say it's sort of similar. Um, I think for me as a, as a product manager, like I've been, I've been directly told that I bring value and like hearing that from like a, a leadership or an executive is like, amazing right because that's what you want to hear as in any role um but product managers um anywhere hopefully should be seen as again very valuable people to the team um because they are sort of like driving the ship in a way um you can you have to get your people on the ship you have to make them believe the story you have to make them believe that you are you know heading towards you know profit or you're heading towards um increasing your your um making a better uh, user experience for for your customers. Um, so in a sense, like product managers have a lot of, a lot on their plates as far as like carrying the company forward. So I think as long as if everybody were to see product managers in that way, I think um, everybody would say that they're very valuable people to the company. Unfortunately, not everybody sees product managers in that way. And that's why so many companies haven't had product managers. And now they're realizing like, oh, Maybe we shouldn't be super sales focused. We should hire product people to, you know, um, navigate the waters and figure out like where we're supposed to go, who we're solving for, um, and bring the team with them. So um, it's a very big job and it's a very big, you know, um, a lot of pressure to make sure that your your company, your product is, is succeeding. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if the answer is if the answer is your question. No, I, I think it makes a lot of sense because um, product managers are kind of defining the goals for the teams, yep. right? Like, well, we've done research and research says that we need to implement this feature 
or that users are having this problem. Right. So how can we fix that and then drive sales up because of that? Or maybe we're losing money um, because uh, users can't do X, Y, or Z. And so you kind of like steer in that direction, which makes exactly. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a big job for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking uh, because I work at a, uh, a product company, mm-hmm. um, who we even have as a product manager. And I, I couldn't even tell you, like, <laughs> I know we have a project manager who is like the Jira person that, that kind of yeah. <laughs> uh, grooms all the tickets and stuff. But uh, as far as somebody that's that's leading that ship, like I know we have a marketing department. Maybe there's a product manager in there, but I I couldn't honestly tell you. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask, how involved are you in like um, like if you do work in an agile environment, like stories and stuff that gets assigned to the actual developers? For sure. Um, So I am heavily involved, um, which isn't the same for every product manager. My situation is a little different because we are smaller. So if, when you talk to smaller companies that have product managers, a lot of the product managers we, will be sort of a product manager slash like product owner slash project manager, right? So you're kind of wearing all these hats. So um, I meet with my development team um, twice a week. One is for a check-in, a touch base sort of thing to make sure that we're still like priorities are still top of mind and there are no blockers. Um, and then every other week to do like a backlog grooming um, um, and a sprint planning. So we essentially sit around our backlog and we're like, okay, what are we going to work on and what's top of mind and what's um, what's the nearest to our, to our goals that we're trying to accomplish for the quarter, for the month. Um, and really having like those, uh, that collaboration is super important. Um, but I'm sort of like, after that meeting, like I'm also in charge of making sure that we're on, like we're trying to meet timelines, um, which I, in the future, I'm hoping I don't have to worry about as a product manager. But right now, since it is a smaller, smaller company, um, that is something that's always top of mind. Um, and it kind of hurts where the product goes sometimes as far as like what we work on, because I'm like, okay, if we're going to do this, if we're going to build out this feature or, um, we're like, we recently built like a CMS out, like a whole entire content management system. And I was like, we have a deadline of, I don't know, let's say like August 1st. Are we going to be able to build like a full-fledged CMS in this time? Probably not. So like, and even though I wanted it to happen and I needed it to happen, I had to really like level it down and be like, what can we get done? Like what's the minimum thing we can release um, with even like minimum features? Like let's not do the whole entire full-fledged. Let's do like a, a, a like a version 0.1 or something. Like something very, very small um, that's still functional, so it gets the job done, but isn't like um, as as full-fledged as it can be. Um, but we work in a very, we try to be as agile as possible. And that just really means like iterating. So um, we don't want to build everything out up front. We want to, you know, do something small, come back, get customer feedback, iterate on it. Um, so it's ever-changing. And that's, that's a very exciting part, I think, about being on a product team. It's like, you're always going to be working on something new if you're talking to customers. If you're not talking to customers, you're probably just going to like, just follow one shot and just always be kind of like dull maybe. Um, but talking to customers is super important. Um, but yeah, Agile's is, Agile's great. And I think it's different at every company um, and Scrum um, different at every company as well. Um, I think it's important not to take Agile and Scrum as like a prescription. It's really just a, this is how these, these guys did it back in the day. Um, take inspiration from it, but you, I wouldn't say follow it like word by word because um, a lot of it's not applicable anymore. Um, or it just depends on your team and the type of like collaboration and, and, and uh, rapport that you have with them. It's very different from company to company um, in general, but yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Eddie uh, follows uh, sprints in his job and yeah. Like, yeah, over, over yeah. where I work, uh, we don't do sprints at all. We just do uh, like a Kanban type of thing where we peel off issues and okay, you work on this for a while and you work on this. And then the project manager just kind of decides like what's the highest priority to work Mm -hmm. on next. Mm -hmm. So have you both worked in environments that are sort of like um, the opposite of what you have now or. Uh, So I've done sprints and Kanban. Uh, What about you, Eddie? Just sprints. I mean, before this, I was a designer, and I didn't know anything about <laughs> Agile or any of this. It was just kind of get the work done kind of thing. For sure, yeah. 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 It adds structure, which is cool. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. 
How much um, like agile knowledge do you have to be cognizant of as a product manager? Um, I would say again, just fundamentals. Um, I like uh, I did a product owner class, which kind of like puts you into the product owner um, hat, uh, which is super super um, agile and scrum focused. But as a product manager, um, as a product manager. At some companies, you won't even touch anything that's Agile or, or Scrum because you're so focused on scr- on strategy or you're so focused on research. Um, so it really depends on like what company you're applying for and what their current team does. I would say like kind of base it on that on like how much um, how much Agile you know fundamentals you, sh- you should you should pick up on. But um, sometimes like you can even just show up on the job and they'll kind of you know bring you into what they do because it's different for for every team. Would uh would you recommend product management for people that are already developers? Like, is that a good career transition, or would it make sense? Like, do product managers make comparable salaries, or is it like one makes more than the other, or something? Um, so salary wise, from what I've seen, um, software engineers, if you get to like a senior senior role, um, you're probably gonna make more than a product manager, but that's after you have maybe I don't know, um maybe like five years of experience. Um, product managers, I think the, I, I'm not sure of limits or anything, but um, they can get pretty close, pretty close to software engineers. But for the most part, for the most part, I've seen them kind of under software engineers um, in salaries and the salary, salary perspective. And then as far as um, if it's a good transition for developers, I personally think so. Um, especially if you want to work closer with customers. Um, if you want to literally be um, on the front lines of, you know, um, talking about the direction of the product. Um, a lot of developers maybe don't want to do that, um, and that's cool. But I think if you're a developer that you, you crave having that customer, like I'm building this for this customer, um, definitely look into product management. Um, if you're also a really good communicator, if you like love being like strategic about you know thinking about like metrics and data and all of that um i think it's a really good transition for a product manager and like you're already coming in with like a technical background so like you're already set right um and there's even technical product manager positions so those are really aimed for um you know folks that have been in development for for a while so it's a really great t- transition and you can always transi- transition back if you like hate it so that's always an option <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, it sounds fascinating to me because uh, as a front-end developer, um, we're kind of close to the users. I mean, all developers are because you're building it for the end mm-hmm. user, right? Yep. But um, I'm always fascinated by like what users find you know usable or mm-hmm. attractive about an interface or kind of like what makes their life easier and then trying to apply that to my own projects. Mm-hmm. Um but I know, like you said, I don't. There's probably a lot of people listening that are like, "Ugh, talk to customers." Like, no thanks. Gross. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Eddie would probably be that person. Like, oh, yeah, I have lots to talk of meetings. To people? Pass. If, you hate, if you hate meetings, you also probably don't want to become a product manager. So, yeah, yeah fair enough. Win enough of uh, those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's like groaning right now. But right. Uh, if you're um if you do decide to go to that route is there like a progression from product manager to something else like what's your career path mm, maybe at that I point um i don't know if there's a clear progression um i would recommend if you are at a company as a developer as a software engineer um expressing interest to your executives that you want to do product management um i think the best thing you can do is uh pick up shadowing shadow a product manager at your company or take off some work from your product manager or just sit on sit sit in on calls that your product manager does and see if it's something that like is interesting to you and if it is like just keep doing more of it um because the more that you keep doing it the better and more comfortable you'll feel with it and obviously your managers and people in the company will see that you're super passionate and motivated to go in this route um I don't think there, I wouldn't say there's a clear like path though. Um, I think it's very like experimental and um, really using what you have right now, if you already have a job to kind of get you into that position and and just getting yourself um, as much experience as you can um, within your, within your company, within your product and like making sure that you're having a lot of like delivery and a lot of outcomes. Um, You're making a lot of impact as a product manager. Uh, Unfortunately, yeah, clear progression. I would, I personally wouldn't say there is. You can go to a boot camp, but like, I don't recommend boot camps for product management. But that's a personal, personal opinion. I'm sure people are 
um, way different and thinking about that. There are boot camps for that? Yeah, there's a product I guess boot there's camp. A boot camp for everything. <laughs> right. Same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> if you're um if you're like a junior developer and maybe you're struggling to get your first development job, if you have maybe some business sense or good communication skills or maybe mm-hmm. a previous career that's more aligned with product management, could yep. that be like a good starting job or maybe like a way into software development like companies? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, as long as you position position yourself via like your your online uh, portfolios or your resumes or your interviews, like positioning yourself in that way, um, I think that would be a really good idea for somebody to do that if they were in that position that you described for sure. Cool. So, um, Eddie, do you have any other like product management questions? No. Um, uh... Are there? Well, I guess you mentioned the boot camp. I was going to ask, are there any like certifications that someone would get, like a Scrum certification or something like that? Yeah, you can do. You can do a, a product owner Scrum certification. Um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't see if there's any other. I don't know of any other ones that you can do at the at the moment. Um, as far as certifications go, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. And so, uh, um, I was just going to ask for sorry. <laughs> No, go ahead. Oh, because some of the stuff you described sounds like work that a UX person would do as far as like research for the UI and whatnot. Where does that differ from like what your job is and that person? Are you working together or um, like where does that go? Yeah. So usually it's a it's a collaborative sort of uh, back and forth. Uh, if I was working for a bigger company, there might already be a UX researcher. So I would be kind of like a... Um, they would kind of lead everything and I would kind of be in the background for that. But at my company right now, I'm kind of like the UX researcher on top of my product manager role. Um, But if you're trying to like draw a line, like just in general, um, the product manager, um, they can, I think they can still do UX research. um, But at the end of the day, if you have a UX researcher, like they should be doing that work of talking to people. The product manager would kind of like come up with like the hypotheses and, um, the questions that we want to ask this the person that we're talking to um, and the UX researcher would sort of execute on that and then come back and collaborate with, with the product manager to um, create a story, right? Create a story about what we're trying to solve for. Um, so I would say if, they, if there was like a clear line, I would say it's kind of like that would be a, the difference between um, the two roles if they were working together. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. So, um, when you reached out to us, you mentioned that you have um, like a newsletter and a YouTube channel and blog and a podcast and all that stuff. And a lot of that has to do with uh, working remotely. So um, you're obviously working remote now. I mean, we are as well. But uh, <laughs> can you maybe talk about like if, if you're meeting with your managers and users and talking to people and stuff, it seems like it would be really difficult to do that as a remote worker. So mm-hmm. like, how did, how did you get into that role and also be remote at the same time? Yeah. Um, so remote work is something that I'm super like just passionate about because I think, um, there's not a lot of education around it. So that's what I'm trying to do is create more education around remote work. Um, I don't, th- I don't think every single role can be remote. Um, obviously software roles, it's a little bit easier. Um, so when I, um, got into remote work, um, I started off in, in an office environment and then kind of pitched my boss to be like, hey, like, let me work remote. Um, and at the time, I was a project manager. Um, so I had to kind of take like my project management as a role and, be, and like turn it into like this thing that would work in a remote environment. Um, and it was really hard. I think what really, you know, what, what really helps when you're working remote, whether you're a project manager, software engineer, um, uh, product manager, or really any role is like, make sure that you are um, you're communicating as much as you can. Um, so for me working remote, like that, that's my, my top thing. It's like, if I'm a product manager, I need to know um, my team needs to know what I'm working on and what my goals are. And I also need to know what my team's milestones and their goals are. Um, Cause if I don't have that information, I'm not next to somebody where I can just tap them on the shoulder and be like, Hey, what are you working on? Like, let me see what you're doing. Um, it literally has to be a very intentional and like a proactive, like, let's meet once a week for like 15 minutes and let's make sure like we are both aligned on what we're working on. Um, so I, I do agree it is hard and it is difficult. Um, it can be done. I just think like 
the whole team needs to be on board if you're going to, you know, have a remote team, um, a fully remote team, at least. Is uh, the company you're working for now fully remote? Yep. Yeah, we're all um, we're all around the U.S. Um, and we have no like HQ or anything. So we're kind of just all everywhere, um, which is my preferred way of working. I've worked in places where like it's hybrid, where there's like half the team is in an office, half the team's online. Um I personally didn't love it because it was just hard. I would get, you know, I wouldn't be included in like the hallway conversations that were important to my project. Mm-hmm. So I would miss things. Um, but I think now working for a fully remote company has been a huge shift in just how like how I view being a product manager in a remote environment. That's cool. Yeah, we, we have kind of a hybrid thing where I'm at now where we've got yep. like some people are remote, some people are in the office and like even when I go into the office, I'm still interacting with remote people for the most part anyway. So it's kind of like, well, I can go to the office, but (laughs) there's no real difference between the office and working from home. So exactly. I know, um, Eddie, you've worked with like separate offices that are in Canada and you've been like the remote person and different mixes of that too. Right. Yeah. Right now my project is there's like a few developers in our office and we will work from home occasionally, but the other half of the team is in Canada. Oh wow. There's a lot of like, you know, Skype and also time zones. Yeah. Well, they're in Toronto and we're in Orlando. So it's the same time zone, but our client is in Vancouver. So there is a time thing going on. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's, it takes a little work, but for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're um if you're gathering research on working remotely like what are some of the findings that you've come across so far? Um a lot of I actually held like office hours a while ago um where I talked to just people about remote work and their questions. Um a lot of the questions were around like how to land your first remote job. Um if you have like no experience at all, which I know um was something yeah, that we talked about too. I was yeah. going to ask that, so. <laughs> yeah, so that's been like my biggest kind of like finding. Um solutions to that um i do have sort of solutions but they require a lot of work um it's really hard for companies i think to hire people that haven't had remote work experience before so that's one um as like a issue that i see um so it's hard to position yourself position yourself in a way that's attractive to companies if you've never had remote experience before and then the other thing is that um if you're a junior applying for a remote position very low chances that you're gonna you know get that position because as a junior applicant, like they want you to be in the office. They want you to, you know, have those one-on-ones with your manager and like be next to your team. Um, so those are kind of like two, two kind of issues that I've seen. I think that that's what gets a lot of people like held up on um, finding a remote job. And I totally understand why. Um, what I've sort of been recommending and suggesting to people um, is if they have no work experience um, in remote is to, if you're already at a company, try to see if they can give you at least a day or even half a day every week where you can start working from home and start to like get a feel for what it's like not being next to your team. Um, what it's like communicating with people over Slack or, you know, whatever uh, messaging platform you use. Um, what it's like, like communicating what you're working on um, not being next to your team. Cause that can be kind of weird at first. You're like, why are we over a video when we could just be next to each other? Um, so definitely start with that. Like see if your company can give you that experience where you're already at. Um, if you don't have a company to kind of rely on for that, um, I would say taking up like freelance or contract jobs that where you can have, um, you can work with the team who isn't next to you or local, local to you is important too. And a really good way to great way to get uh, remote experience. Um, and these are all things that you can start putting on your resume or working into your cover letter or um, f- figuring out really creative ways on, on your online portfolio to showcase that like you do work remote. Um, maybe you're not fully remote yet, but like that's where you want to go. So you are like getting this experience in the meantime. Um, and then if you're like a junior applying for a remote position, um, I would say to like as much as you can, like I know remote work is super cool and all that, but like try to apply to to local local positions where you can work in an office for at least a year and then see if they can transition you to a remote job. And I say that because I've seen people like apply for junior remote positions and it's just, it's either really hard to find them or like, it's just not gonna, not gonna work out for them. So they spend all this time, you know, applying to positions that they're hoping to get and they don't get anything back um, where, where you can be putting that time and applying to local, local positions for a junior position and getting that experience for a year and then transitioning out. Uh, so that's something I would recommend. Um, 
for folks with no experience. Um, and I've also, I would, uh, in general, like remote work, um, isn't for everybody. Um, I, I mean, I, I think people, anybody should try it. Right. But it's not for every sort every single personality. Um, it's a very like lonely job, lonely job at times. You don't have people next to you. So if you're an extrovert, it might not be like the best. Um, you might feel like very isolated and, and missing out on things. Um, so make sure that it's a right fit for you. Um, if you're, if you're looking to get into remote work and then also understand like, what are the sort of the pros and cons of working remote and what can you deal with? Like, what can you be like, that is fine. Like I don't have to go to the office and I don't have to interact with people physically. That is okay with me. Um, but if it's something that it's like a, a, a trade-off that you can't have, like remote work might not be the perfect, um, the perfect situation for you to be in. So just really like understand what are, what are you willing to give up and what are you like okay with like working around um, when you're, when you're remote. So uh, when you were saying all that, the first thing that came to mind was like open office concepts and oh, how miserable yeah. those can be. I hate so. those so much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 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 like working remote has some cons, but like personally, I've worked in a couple of different open offices and they're miserable. So uh, when I say open office for anybody out there that's not familiar, um, you've got like cubicles next to each other, but maybe they're like half cubes or something yeah. and or maybe no cubicles at all. And everybody's just at tables or something. And what ends up happening is like people are walking around, they're talking, there's a lot of noise. It's very distracting. Like you're integrating and interfacing with a lot of people, but at the same time it becomes difficult to kind of isolate yourself to get work done. So um, like I deal with this at work where there's like a major walkway in front of my Mm -hmm. cubicle. So like people are walking by shaking my hand and stuff. Hey, how are you doing? Um, We've got like, an AC handler overhead that kicks on and startles everybody. So it, it's kind of like miserable to, to do that versus like, well, I could just work at home exactly because I'm working with people that are remote to my office anyway. So why not just work for my home office where I don't have to deal with any of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like the, it's interesting. Cause like what you described is like just the traditional thing that like people do in an office. Like it's not, that's just like what everybody's had. Everybody has always done. Um, it's normal to like, go interrupt your coworker, co-worker if they have like headphones on, right? Like you don't think about like, oh, maybe they have headphones on for a reason. Like they could be in like deep work. <laughs> um, <laughs> that doesn't cross your mind at all. Um, hopefully now, maybe, I don't know. But um, I think what you described is like, that's exactly how I felt at my last job. And that's um, now looking back, like I'm so grateful not to be in that situation anymore because it was so distracting. Like I save so much time now. Um, there's so much time that I save like, that I have back just of like deep work time because I don't have distractions around me. Um, and it's not like distractions that like, I mean, you can block them out, but it's hard because it's like literally in front of you. Like you can be sitting in front of the water cooler and like you have five people like every hour just, you know, come by and get water. Um, and that just seeing them there and kind of like now you're like eavesdropping. Right. So, um, <laughs> Things, little things like that, they add up over time, and that's that's time that you're taking away from your your job and like producing. So, yeah, yeah. I've, like I sit next to the bathroom, so like people walk mm. in front of my desk Even to go worse. to the bathroom all day long. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's like a storage closet behind me full of like t-shirts and stuff. So marketing <laughs> constantly goes back there and opens the closet and is like digging around yeah. and crap. So I'm like very distracted by all of that at work. Whereas if they had just like bought full cubes or put me right. in like an isolated office or something. I could just shut the door and not have to deal yep. with it. Yep. Exactly. Um, so I, so I end up just working from home and doing that instead. <laughs> um, but the, I think the problem with remote work is a lot of managers kind of look at it as like, how can I make sure that people are getting things done? Mm, and they, yeah, they kind of yeah. like have this butts and seats mentality. So like, how do you combat that? Um, so it's something that I'm trying to actually work on right now. And it's like understanding um, why why managers uh, find it so hard to sort of like just trust your team and like let them do their work. Um, there's managers that are remote and like they will ask for updates like every hour or a summary at the end of the day to make sure that you got your work done. Um, so to combat that as a manager, um, especially if you're um, managing millennials, um, I'm not sure like the demographics of your user base. But if you're managing millennials, like it's really hard for people that don't come from like a technology just being a super like 
crucial part of your everyday life. Um, and now you're handling, you're like managing remote, remote teams. Um, I think if you're a manager, definitely like trust your team, um, have check-ins. Like if you have to have a check-in, have it maybe in the morning, right. For 15 minutes and just get that like daily stand up, right. Just, okay. I know my team is working on something cool. Like, let me step away. Let them, let them produce, like let them be creative and let them problem solve on their own. Um, when you are a manager and you're constantly, you know, over your oh, trying to like message your team and 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 you know figure out like what they're working on, like those are interruptions that are taking your team away from producing work. Um, so I like to think about kind of the negatives of being an over. I'm not sure what the word is. Um, of being like an like a micromanaging. Uh, micromanager, yeah. So take the negatives of being a micromanager and like bundle those up and be like do i want to be this do i want to be this like person that you know um is always on top of my team is pressuring them is interrupting them every day um every single hour of the day usually it's going to be no um so like try to dial that back a little bit like what what can you do where you can interrupt them less um and still have them you know trust you and respect you because you're not taking things time away from their day um because if I'm on the other end of it or even put yourself put yourself in the shoes of like somebody that you're managing, if you do consider yourself as like, you know, somebody who's a micromanager, like it's not fun. Like it's you feel like you are always being watched and that's not when people do their best work. They do their best work when a manager says, I trust you to do this thing and go do it. Like take the time that you needed to do it. So um, it's it's hard though. I think it's still hard to um, manage remote teams and get away from that mindset of like letting go. It's a it's really a fact of like letting go, um, delegating right as a manager. Um, all of that is hard, even worse when it's remote. So finding touch points um, that you're comfortable with um, that get you the information that you need is is what I would recommend. Yeah, I feel like there's. Um like a responsibility to set expectations from management. Like, uh, we give you this ticket, um, you know, we expect it to be done within so many days or something, or yeah, yeah. we would consider this like a four hour ticket or something like that. And then if it balloons past that, then it's like, well, you know, are you asking questions to us? Like, are you telling us that you're blocked? And if you don't get any of that, like maybe then it's time to step in and say, uh, hey, what's going on? Like, are you right, exactly. having trouble getting work done or are you stuck or do you not feel like you can ask us questions or something like that? But front loading everything with that, like, okay, what are you doing right now? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. In an hour, tell me how far you've gotten with this. Like, that's <laughs> really unnerving. Yeah. Uh, or even adding, I, adding pressure from like, oh, in an hour, tell me where you're at because I have a client waiting. Like, that's a lot of pressure yeah. to put on somebody, you know? Yeah. And I think that's probably like, even if your people are in the office and you're doing that kind of stuff, right, right. um, is a quick way to drive people out mm -hmm. <laughs> and 100%. have them go, go seek like other positions. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, nobody wants to be under that manager for sure. And then the other part of it is like, as a remote worker, maybe like you do your best work at odd hours of the day oh, yeah. or, yep. uh, maybe you need to take a break and like go play ping pong or whatever. Um, I don't know, you know, take 15 and uh, read a book, whatever it is that gets stretch you back. Stretch your legs. In. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Get up and stretch, go outside, take a walk, whatever. And maybe you don't feel comfortable doing that in office because you're like, well, I don't want my boss to see me not working or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's Whereas, huge. Yeah. I, I think there's uh, there's probably research out there that that's like, you know, if you're in an office, you're only doing so many hours of actual work a day regardless. So yeah um trying to to view your team's productivity as like eight hour chunks every day is kind of unrealistic in the first place mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. then on top of all that like as a developer there's a certain amount of self-education and personal kind of development that you have to do anyway to stay on top of technology and sometimes you need to take a break from your work and like go do tutorials or do something interesting or kind of refresh yourself with um, some self-learning to, to kind of, you know, develop your own skills, but then also give yourself a break. And maybe you wouldn't feel comfortable if like your boss is over your shoulder at work while you're doing right. that. Right. Yeah. So um, 
now that we've talked a, a whole bunch about remote work and like how to get into it and all that good stuff, um, you also have uh, a lot of kind of like personal brand building that you do. So you've got um, a newsletter, YouTube, blog, podcast, all that stuff. Uh, how did you get started with all that and kind of what's the motivation behind it? Yeah. So all of those things, um, they're kind of around topics that I just enjoy talking about. Um, so remote work, tech, product management are kind of like the big ballooning ones. Um, and a little bit of like entrepreneurship. So I have always, I think ever since starting into like just learning how to code, I've um, always been in the process of like just building um i really love just like starting something new that i thought of right or somebody else talked about um or trying to find a solution for something and then making it like a concrete thing um honestly not all of them get done like a lot of them are just sitting in my you know i have a sites folder in my like finder uh directory um that's just like filled with different projects that i've started um but the ones that do make it out of that are ones that i've found that i'm like super passionate about um so a lot of the motivation behind these um, come with the common theme of just like giving back. Um, I've I've had a lot of people help me to get to where I am today. Um, so like, I just want to do the same for other people. And I think people have so many questions about, you know, how to get into tech, how to work remote, um, all these different things that are so, so new, especially if you're just starting out, you've never been exposed to it. And I remember when I was that person. So I'm kind of like, how can I help? Like, that person that was just like me, like didn't know what to do, didn't have any role models, um, help them get to where they're trying to go in life um, and really focusing in on the tech aspect of it and like just personal development, um, confidence building, communication building. Um, And I think we mentioned this kind of like starting off, but like getting more like minorities and underrepresented people in technology, like that's really, really close to my, my heart and kind of like something that I'm trying to focus on as much as I can. Um, and where I can really. So the motivation is kind of like spread, but it's all under the common umbrella of like giving back to two people. Yeah, definitely. Um, you've kind of hit the nail on the head as far as like why we're even doing tech junior. Like we started out as non-developers, non-technical, uh, Eddie was a designer. I was a fireman and a nurse and we both like didn't really do any development. So we went through a boot camp, you know, went out and applied for jobs, got lucky enough to get hired and just have kind of been in this thing. But, you know, it wasn't an easy journey and there's a lot of questions along the way. So in the spirit of like giving back, yeah, you can jump on your community Slack channel and just like, oh, answer questions kind of as they pop up. But that's very kind of low return. And you're probably just going to answer the same questions over and over again. So then it becomes like, well, how do we persist that knowledge and share it with a wider audience? And then, you know, you start looking into podcasts and blogs and newsletters and all that sort of thing. So a hundred percent with you. And, um, on top of that, yeah, uh, we enjoy interviewing famous people like Travis Nielsen and, uh, people from Gatsby and, um, Scott Talinsky and all that sort of thing. But it's also really important to interview people that aren't super famous and aren't like your typical picture of a developer because, those people are out there doing the job and maybe they have a harder time getting an audience or getting in front of people and kind of like spreading uh, their message to, to people. So yeah, uh, we really appreciate having you on the show and, and being able to, um, you know, kind of let people know like, Hey, you can be a woman in tech. You can be a minority in tech. And, you know, we should probably invite more of that, so that we can have a more diverse, uh, you know, group of developers. And yeah, for sure. there's also like, you know, you kind of think it, it's like an ethical thing where we, we should do it, but it's funny where it, it pops up in real life where you've got things like machine learning. And, um, so like, I forget the, the actual, uh, problem that happened, but it was like, some kind of image recognition technology where it could only recognize uh, oh, yeah, white I people. Oh, yeah, I remember this, yeah. Yeah, because the developers that wrote it mm-hmm. were a bunch of white guys, so they used, yeah. like, their own pictures and stuff to train yeah. up the model. And so it's, like, now difficult for the model to identify people that are not white. Yeah. So I think there was, like, a hand sanitizer one or something. Oh, yeah, that, yes, I remember that, that one. Was, yeah. There was also out there, like, so if, if you were black, like, you put your hand under there and it wouldn't recognize Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, now whenever I go to, like, bathrooms and I have a hard time, like, 
getting the soap out. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong here? <laughs> yeah. But, so th- yeah, y- you think of this stuff as like a should do, but it's it's really more than that. And beyond like our products that we're building, <clears throat> um, it's valuable to get other insights. And so if you're with a, a bunch of like-minded people that are from the same cultural background as you, the same financial background as you, you may have a harder time reaching uh, users from different backgrounds, right? Totally agree. And I think that's what's so important um, for, I mean, any, anybody creating something, creating anything, it's like, make sure that you have, you have that top of mind at all times. Like my users aren't just people that look like me. They're people that have like slow internet speeds, right? And um, don't have enough money to afford my like $10 app. So like thinking about these like people that aren't as, um, don't have the same access um, and just come from totally different backgrounds with totally different um, education um, and really trying to tailor. It's hard, right? It's hard to tailor for the, the vast majority, but as much as you can, um, keeping those people in mind as you're building is is crucial even more so if you're like a big company um because you're you have more of a of touch more touch touch points across the whole entire world um but yeah totally there with you with you on that too that's a really important mission i think for hopefully it's for a lot of people who are building cool so um how can we find all the stuff that you're doing on the internet like how can we sign up for your newsletter and check out your channel and your blog and your podcast uh maybe you can toss out some links for all those yeah um so the best way to find all of these is just going to my website which is irmamesa.com i-r-m-a-m-e-s-a.com um and there you'll find um my blog which talks a lot about uh remote work and product management and just transitioning in your career um i do have a a a newsletter called the weekly human which i recently just renamed um it's all about remote work entrepreneurship tech and it also just has my podcast included in there so um my podcast i started it about a year ago and it's been a really nice a nice way to just get in touch of in touch with a lot of people and um i do try to bring you know on a lot of diverse folks to come on and talk from all different backgrounds so that's been really really insightful and enlightening um and that's called don't crush it alone so we're kind of like your handbook trying to get you through life listen to the podcast if you want to you know just hear from Right now we're doing a season on founders. So if you're starting starting a new project, starting a uh, startup or a business, it's a really great time to start listening to that now. Um, and if you have any questions on like remote work or any sort of coaching around that, feel free to reach out. Always available for you know talking to people and helping them where I can. And if I can't help you, I will lead you to somebody else who probably can. <laughs> Fantastic. So we'll uh, we'll include links to all those different projects on the show cool. notes awesome. uh, on our website. Yeah, I like the um, title. Don't crush it alone. Yeah. Don't crush it alone. Yes. We little insight. We landed on Tech Junior because we couldn't think of anything else. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice. I like it. I like it. It's very memorable. I'm like it's and it's short too, right? So it's easy to remember. So. Yeah. Yeah, Please don't. Please don't sue us, Nickelodeon. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so uh, at the end of every show, we do a little segment called Nerd Minute, where we just talk about like books or games or comics or whatever we're into. Uh, so Irma, you're the guest. Uh, do you have anything in mind that you'd like to bring up? Um, so this is kind of weird, maybe. Um, I came across this like YouTube series um, around this uh, secretive like puzzle game uh, that was put online by this like uh, hacker group called Cicada. I'm not sure if you guys have heard about it, um, but they pretty much released like um, a puzzle on 4chan. This was a while ago, um, and now YouTube has like a little series on it. Um, and it's super interesting because it's a it's a puzzle where you know the most science developers couldn't solve it, um, and there was like you know text hidden in an image, and you had to find the text in the image and use like these crazy like programming like tactics to like get to it. Um, and then people started forming like their own little you know um, group brainstorming on how to how to break the puzzle, um, and it was like this whole big thing, and and. I think only like two people ever cracked it um, and nobody knows like who put it out on the web. Um, and it's just like this big mystery. So I was watching that YouTube series um, a few weeks ago and I was just very like enthralled by it. Uh, Cause these, these guys are just so smart and they're like, we can't solve this, this puzzle. Like it's <laughs> uncrackable. Um, 
and it was just insane like the every time you would solve something there'd be another another layer to it that was even harder or, or just much more obscure than the last the last step of it um but i think yeah if you're interested in that kind of like you know solving hackers trying to solve things um the cicada thing is a very interesting topic um that youtube has a series on right now so i'd recommend if you're interested in that to check it out it's really it's really cool i don't think anybody else probably thinks so but me but i <laughs> that I honestly do. sounds kind of like right up my alley but. yeah sounds yes, interesting i'll link you yeah yeah send us a link and we'll, we'll put For that sure. on the show notes as well awesome awesome eddie uh you got anything uh, not much. I saw um it chapter two. Mm. How was it? It was good. Um, I think the first one's better. Uh, by a <laughs> yeah. little bit, but I mean, I, there wasn't enough clown for me because I like the clown. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was good. More Pennywise. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I like okay. It. Uh, what's Pretty the guy's cool. name? Is it Scarsgard? That's his last name. Yeah, I forget his first name. It's a cool last name. If it's, yeah. yeah. I remember if it's bill or what but well uh, he also has a brother with the last same last name um okay he was in uh true blood uh the, Vi- the viking vampire guy I didn't watch it oh okay <laughs> anyway he's um uh you ever see mute no mute oh okay director also did moon which is like one of my favorite movies i did see moon i really moon, like that movie. Yes. moon is amazing so that character is also in mute but in like the background and like in the news <laughs> really uh, That's yeah cool. yeah it's kind of cool it's in like one scene <clears throat> but it's interesting mute's huh. not great but it's a netflix exclusive like movie thing uh cool. but yeah so uh as for me uh, i've been watching um the spawn tv series like uh i rewatched the animated that version yeah i rewatched that like two three months ago how, how did you like it because i've only ever seen bits and pieces of it on HBO because they used to air it at like midnight or something. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I th- thought it was okay. I don't like the the intros by Todd McFarlane. They're kind of dumb. He is a goofball. Yeah, <laughs> that is like the hammiest intro. He just like he's in Irma. If you haven't seen it, hees in like a dungeon, like yeah, a, a block castle kind of thing, and it it plays like this creepy violin music, and then zooms up over his shoulder. And he spins around in a suit and starts talking to the camera uh, and just like French. monologues about some yeah. weird thing. Yeah. So I usually just skip that part. <laughs> because, Not for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, that and like the, the intro to the series is just kind of boring. So uh, yeah, just skip that whole three minutes and jump into the, the actual episode. Ooh, I'll but, check that uh, out. I haven't heard of that before. It's check on it Amazon, on okay. Amazon Prime. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Spawn is a, uh, it, he was like a big character in the 90s. That, the uh, biggest comic book character in like the 90s. Okay. Yeah, he launched awesome. Todd McFarlane's career, um, I think. No, I but, think Spider-Man uh, did that and then that okay. capitalized on it. Spawn was like his, his major. His, yeah, work. yeah, his thing. Yeah. The biggest uh, in thing case, in the image anyway. Spawn was a, um, like a government assassin or something that, died and then made a deal with the devil because he wanted to see his wife and so the devil brought him back as like a soldier in hell's army or something yeah so um five years the, the later series, yeah five years a later, different so, body that's completely burned hmm. interesting yeah. okay, it, okay. It, it's it's kind of out there yeah. yeah but but also incredibly 90s so it's kind of awesome <laughs> yeah <so. laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't think people recommend. Uh, yeah, the probably. Comic series, I mean, but, whenever uh, yeah, I do remember Stranger Things is also shows, really good so. too. But yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Stranger Things. Uh, more like eighties, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, always yeah. fun to like kind of flashback to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. So um, I think we can wrap it up there. Irma, thank you so so much for coming on the show. Uh, we really you. appreciate it. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Edwin. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tech Junior. Head on over to our site at techjr.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, click subscribe to get an email from us once a week with the latest episode and some other goodies. Please follow us on Twitter at TechJR Podcast. You can follow me personally at Lee Warwick Jr. and Eddie at ED0TER0. Join us next week. We're going to be talking to Greg Pollock. So Greg is uh, a kind of a big deal in the Orlando community, um, was involved with NB Labs, Starter Studio, uh, and Code School. So um, 
now he is doing viewmastery.com and uh, it's pretty great. We, uh, we subscribe to it at work and use it for keeping up with Vue. So we're going to talk to Greg about startups and Vue and just his whole career and story. So really interesting episode and I hope you check it out. Also, I'm going to be talking at DevFest uh, on the 16th, which is this Saturday. So tickets are still available. Uh, check that out. Um, I'm going to be giving two talks. The first one on PWAs. So very gentle intro into progressive web apps. And then the second one's going to be directed towards uh, businesses in the uh, startup track. And that is you don't deserve seniors. So I'm going to talk about um, hiring practices and how we're kind of letting junior developers down by not hiring them and not having processes and practices to support them in companies. So really excited about that one and hope to see a lot of people attend and uh, spread that message. So, all right, that's all I've got. I will see you next week. Bye.